<laughs> no, now that <laughs> now that it's late, our our allergy medicine has worn off. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So now we're just going to be coughing and wheezing and just. Ugh. I blame the Santa Ana winds. Can I blame the Santa Ana winds for everything? Or, uh, but it shouldn't. They shouldn't come up till October or so. I you see. Um, I've never figured out when the Santa Ana winds are supposed to happen, and so what? I've been blaming them everything. Like you know, it's like my version of Mercury and Mercury in retrograde. Like, oh, I feel under the weather. Oh, I've got ED again. You know, it's like it's obviously the Santa Ana winds. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Do you want to ask a doctor about that, or no? <laughs> you've already you've already given it out to the public, so <laughs> no. I don't. First of all, why? There's no problem. Okay, it's perfectly okay. normal. All right, fine. <laughs> a lot of guys have performance issues. Okay. All right. I mean, anxiety, performance anxiety. Yes. <laughs> John, let's flip the script this episode. Oh, we're doing it again, folks. Yep. You know, you came in expecting like, oh, I'm mainly doing it one way. Wrong. We're always changing it up. Look out. <laughs> that implies that we have repeat listeners, which I'm not I'm not 100% <laughs> sure we do. But in any event, usually the typical format of, the, of an episode is we uh, talk about a classic movie that we're watching, either one of us or both of us is watching for the first time, and we conclude with a recommendation that only one of us has seen recently. Uh, mm-hmm. or something that ties to our movie. Um, let's flip it around a little bit and talk about two movies that you and I watched independently of, of one another, but that we didn't finish independently of one another. Um, <laughs> yes. For two very different reasons. I, th- I think you should go first. You, why don't you start with, uh, again, this book club uh, with the book that you didn't finish. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a, yes, it's a very honest book report. And honestly, it, per- it works perfectly because it's a movie about honesty. It's a movie about lies and the lies we tell each other and the lies we tell our peers. Okay. Um, I saw the an avant-garde um, <laughs> student project that clearly just got way out of hand. I finally got to experience Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> okay. which is, some people would consider this movie strange. I would consider it the strangest. <laughs> it is the weirdest movie. And like, I think it has some, you know, rightful like champion because it's like, you know, they don't make straight up comedies anymore. Because, no. you know, like movies these days are too focused on like the international market and comedy just does not translate well. So yeah. you'll notice that they've stopped doing big studio comedies or if they are doing studio comedies, they're always like action oriented, like Men in Black and Ghostbusters. Like there's got to be, you know, this movie, it's just insane. that Nothing, nothing they thought of was worth leaving out. And the amount of production design went into just some of the stupidest gags <laughs> okay. um for well, instance well, first of movie- all take this back to the very beginning because when i mm-hmm. hear barb and star i'm assuming it's one of chris and it stars kristen wig i'm assuming it's one of her conservatively eight million characters she had on snl is that the case oh totally or- yes okay yeah, well was, i don't right. know i don't know if barb and star were snl characters but it definitely feels like an snl movie yeah and it definitely feels like um, – because the other star, the person who plays Barb, was also a writer on SNL. Um, I don't know if she was a performer, but they both wrote on SLT, L, SNL together. And my sneaking suspicion is that this movie literally consists of every sketch, joke, <laughs> idea that they've ever had not, like just cut out of the writer's room for SNL. And they're like, fuck you, we're going to put it all in one movie. <laughs> okay. The movie begins with a, um, a Chinese-American boy. Um, delivering papers and there's one house in particular that it, they make sure that it lands perfectly on the porch then we follow this kid as he goes to his secret underground lair <laughs> straight out of moonraker <laughs> 
where we're introduced to the villainess, also played by Kristen Wiig, who's this albino, like, you know, dark bob haircut, like just pure evil. And she explains, you know, she's, you know, now's her opportunity. Now's her chance to finally get revenge on the dreaded place that is Vista Del Mar. Then our movie actually opens okay. and introduces our title characters. <laughs> Okay, so is this a, a future? Uh, I'm assuming she's Barb, and is this a future Barb who's been wronged by this resort, this fictional? See, I've never finished it, so I can't really tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my assumption is like I I only had about 30 minutes left, so my assumption was that there was going to be some some farcical shenanigans going back and forth, where one person thinks it's the other. So you know, um, I think the reason why is because there is a male love interest in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's like the henchman. He's the muscle for the villainess. Okay. And he has, you know, he has romantic inclinations for. Her. He's introduced. Uh, there's one point he's reading a book, saying how to <laughs> how to love someone even though they'll never re- reciprocate their your feelings. <laughs> and he's like nodding along, like, huh. <laughs> and then later, we cut to a few scenes later. We cut to the villainess, and she's reading a, the complimentary book, how to never reciprocate the feelings <laughs> even though someone's trying really, really hard. <laughs> Now that just sounds like straight, good, straightforward uh, gags right there, John. What's the, what's the problem? See, and with that's gags? the thing. Look, and that's the thing, and that's why I have to admire the movie because it never stops. <laughs> like, there's no idea. So, in terms of just pure volume of ideas and jokes, yes, do all of them land? No, I'd say it's still about a fifty-fifty ratio. But again, if you're lobbing ten million balls, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So, I have to give it that. Okay. Yeah. If it's 50 this is baseball um i'm gonna have to demand a higher uh batting batting average for my comedies uh 30 mm. rock could achieve that and i realize that's herculean but for mm, could it could it yes <laughs> i will not hear any slanders out of you sir no <laughs> i don't care he just loves alec baldwin I, alec baldwin's his favorite yes, i don't care how alec baldwin's impeachable in the eyes of Greg. yeah no it's not no it's all the blackface gags i've now been taking out of oh, rotation yes <laughs> But I don't care how problematic it is. I, th- I still think it's a winning comedy. Um, there you go. But, so it sounds like Barb and Star has some winning moments. It's just, it was just too exhausting. At uh... it's, it's so much. It's at, at times a musical. It has two musical numbers mm-hmm. b- before I didn't finish it. So I can't. You need at least requisite four for it to be a musical. I think that's the <laughs> that's the baseline. So it's like it's not quite a musical, but it's got musical numbers. Okay. The first musical. I'm not the musical police, is... so I don't enforce yes. these things. <laughs> yeah. The first musical number is actually really clever because it's like they get to their what they think is their hotel, the you know Vista Del Mar Hotel. It's mm-hmm. literally just called that, but it's like they welcome it with this you know grandiose like welcome, and they're all doing like this coordinated. <laughs> and obviously, when it comes to Barb and Star, they get the final line, the motel, oh ooh motel, ooh ooh, and then everyone stops and they pull back and they're like, oh I'm sorry ladies, you don't have a reservation here, you have a reservation down the street, yes. So we're just going to take your lays back. Yeah, okay, have, have fun. <laughs> this just sounds like solid solid stuff, John. I can't believe you didn't have the energy to, to finish it. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a volume. It's quite a, it's quite a text, Craig. It's okay. very thick. All right, all right. It's very dense. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll be more ready for it in my next viewing, you know, where I'm not, you know, just blasted in the face with pure comedy. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so it's a lot to absorb. Um, yes. It still sounds like a charming uh, winning film. On the opposite end of that spectrum is um, uh, a big summer release. Uh, the new king of July 4th weekend is obviously one Chris Pratt, and he hoped to achieve that title with uh, The Tomorrow War, 
or yes, I actually got a chance to see this as well. So okay. we'll be able to both speak. To oh, this. awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. And, and we'll have... I can't really say I've, I'm, I finished it, quote unquote, because it's one of those movies you watch at home and you check out about halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not sure what what's part of the movie and what's part of your Facebook feed. So. <laughs> exactly. I, yes, I, I couldn't tell um, what was going on in the film and maybe the YouTube <laughs> video that I put on. Um, <laughs> so I think Conan O'Brien made a cameo in The Tomorrow War as far as I knew <laughs> in a clip from late night but anyway um uh the tomorrow war so it's got its heart in the right place uh because because basically this is a, a recapitulation of independence day edge of tomorrow like all these big bombastic sci-fi spectacles um with a light touch and you know not too much uh gore thrilling elements or whatever like fun for the whole family um and it's trying to tell an allegory about climate change. So the basic premise is like, it's a future, all these young people are ill-prepared, and so they have to go back to the past and warn everybody, like, hey, there's this impending crisis, and we're going to need you um, yes. to, to, to figure it out. Um, but speaking of figuring it out, I don't think the writers really did that, um, because it if... Because they come back in the middle of a World Cup match, presumably to get the widest, broadest possible audience, Um I don't know how they get control of the PA system, but anyway, that's that's either here nor there. Um, <laughs> sci-fi, it's yeah, sci-fi, sci-fi. <laughs> um, but uh, they basically warn the past. Like they come back via this wormhole and warn the warn the past. Um, all right, th- there's going to be an alien invasion coming, and we need your help. Um, not to prevent the alien invasion <laughs> that we know is coming, but instead to draw you to the future, um, literally yes. with the clothes on your back, uh, to fight with uh, body armor and MP4s. Um, it, and but like, yeah, why don't they just like prevent it from the future? Like, why are they just drawing older <laughs> army folks or people who I, don't even have know, military training? They're schmuck, schmucks off the street. Yes, and I like and like. <sighs> It's it's that's the problem with the movie is that it's the it's the balancing of tone because on the one hand it's supposed to be like funny how ill prepared they are here's a here's a guy in a chef's hat going to war <laughs> but also it's most to be also supposed to be gravely serious these people are going to die um, the 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 logic for the movie is the fact that they are sending people that they know are going to be dead at that date so they can't do anyone too young because they might actually still be alive and cause like you know and Martin McFly the whole future out of existence so that's the reason why I you know it's like a throwaway line where they're like they're intentionally but it's also like they obviously don't know how to fight it you're right there is this level of incompetence so it's just like oh we're just going to do human wave tactics just more numbers more (laughs) atom yeah yeah so that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense um but what little sense it makes, it makes up in a lot of exposition. Like, there is a lot of time. Oh, yeah. It's a very talky movie. Yes. <laughs> to make another Independence Day, maybe an unfair one, but Independence Day comparison, like, how many interesting characters and storylines are going on in Independence Day? Here, we just got Chris Pratt and then uh, Sam Richardson from I Think You Should Leave. And that's <laughs> that's it, pretty much. Um, yeah. And the actress who played Gail the Snail, God bless her. Um, <laughs> that that's that's literally it it's so thin and and as you said yeah it's supposed to be funny i actually had high hopes because this is directed by chris mckay um who directed one of my favorite movies of the last decade the lego batman movie um but mm-hmm. this this has none of that light touch so like yes they literally send like 
people in the clothes on their back, but they're just surrounded by like dull gray environments. And then they get sent to a, a futuristic Miami, which is also dull and gray. <laughs> um, and then they encounter some dull gray aliens, except for the and the aliens. Yes, yeah. they're the classic over-designed aliens with tentacles, but then also like evil gaping maws, and they're just mm-hmm. no personality. Just like Independence Day, the aliens don't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, but John, you're forgetting the big baddie, the queen, which is of course. yes, which is just the same alien but slightly bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and she makes a more high-pitched screech because women, am I right, folks? I, I know, yes. We have to unpack the psychology. I know it were, It might have worked for aliens or whatever, but no, come on. Come on, guys. Let's yeah. let's let's try something new. Let's let's maybe go back to page one. Um, yeah, I desperately wanted this movie to go back to page one. And I was literally like, when I wasn't checking YouTube or Twitter, I was like banging my head against the floor because there are like literal lines. Like... Um, they send this, this human wave attack. They only have a week inside the future world. Um, and then they get uh, warged back to the past. And uh, they they intone this message by saying, you'll only have seven days. That's 168 hours. <laughs> and I literally like banged my head against the floor because, God damn it, my time is precious. I'm watching the bar on the, on the Amazon Prime player, like the hourglass of my life, slowly deteriorating. <laughs> and you use that precious time of mine to tell me that 24 times 7 is 168. That's what you did with it. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was, yeah, it's... Um... It's not great. No. It's not a great movie. No. <laughs> no. So I cut out um, right when he gets warged back to the past after he has a long, interminable like lab sesh with uh, uh, his daughter in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Ivan uh, Ostrowski. was one of the best parts of the TV show, Chuck. Um, fortunately, none of that charm gets uh, gets transported to here. None of Chris Pratt's charm gets any. There's, there's just nothing charming about it. It's just no, dull. No, there's just nothing yeah, to this movie. It's, just, it's like... Yeah. Higgledy piggledy mess of, of nine million other recent sci fi action movies you've seen before, and yeah, it's just doing them again. Yeah, it's just, just faster. <laughs> <laughs> no, not faster. It's like two hours. Oh, you're right, slower. Two hours yes. and twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the climax of the movie, they figure out where the aliens are hiding. So it turns out it's a War of the World situation where they've been buried underground. Mm-hmm. Um, and callback, they were able to figure out because they examined the dirt on the aliens. Oh, we need to carbon date it. It looks volcanic. Well, who knows about volcanoes? The autistic kid from the beginning. We pull him back. It's a payoff, guys. We did it. <laughs> Which kid was that? What, there was an autistic. One of his class. Remember one, when he's teaching his? Class, oh no, that's when I really checked. Like, out. I really checked on that yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's like it's one of those scenes that's meant to be like overly comedic, but and again, a very serious war movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a mess. It's yeah. a mess. Um. <sighs> So anyway, um, we hope you enjoyed our, our little uh, consumer advice there. Um, I, th- I feel like we're this generation's Roger Ebert. I don't know about you, but I I think we're doing a fantastic. I think we're doing a bang up job. Pulitzer, please. Thank you. Yes. They give a Pulitzer for movie criticism, right? Uh, yeah. Well, criticism in general. Um, it could be about anything, what? really. Yeah. Come on, we need specialization. I, they do ed- They do editorial cartoon. Mm-hmm. Then they do like absurdist cartoon, which Gary Larson would obviously win every year. Are you sure or, about you that? Know, whatever. I think it's just editorial cartoon, of which they did not hand out one out this year, which is probably for the <laughs> <Yeah>. best. <laughs> or at least it would be if Kelly cartoons from the Onion didn't exist. So that exactly. should be the true, that yes. should be the true winner. Mm-hmm. Of course, it should win every year. Yeah. Um, but anyway, speaking of Roger Ebert, that lion in winter, that uh, yes. yeah, the late great uh, Roger Ebert, uh, he he. In particular, had a, a lot of affection for the film we're looking at this week. Um, it is uh, 
Well, first, we should introduce ourselves, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we're 15 minutes in. Whatever. Let's keep rolling. All right. We're way too late. Let's get to it. All right, folks. It's a big, yeah. it's a big one. Um, it's a cultural touchstone for a lot of um, hard-rocking 80s kids, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. It is, of course, uh, the film adaptation of the classic concept album, Pink Floyd's The Wall. That's not even close. That's, that's no, it. you're right. I, I don't know if you, I, I, look, guys, cards on the table. I am not super familiar with the works of Pink Floyd. <laughs> Neither am I, and I wasn't super familiar with this film um, until. Oh, it's too embarrassing to realize <laughs> to explain why why I was interested in this movie. Um, I'll think of another excuse. Um, I was browsing Pornhub and I came across clips. <laughs> of, yeah. That's the, I was watching pirated movies on Xtube, and yeah. once you know it. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I'm loath to admit that we did have to um, watch this movie via extra legal means because mm-hmm. um, Roger Waters, one of the founders of the band, um, uh, broke off in the mid '80s and actually sued his record company for rights, and and so mm-hmm. what the the rights of the uh, all the songs in this movie are, are kind of up in the air. Hopefully, with um, <laughs> what I'm saying, hopefully, with the purchase of Amazon, uh, with Amazon purchasing this movie's distributor, Metro Golden Mayor, maybe it'll come to Amazon Prime any one of these days. Alongside, I don't know. That's the that's the killer the killer kind of content they need to really get people to sign <laughs> yeah. up. That's the exclusive we need, folks. <laughs> but in any event, last week we looked at the straight story because you were uh, interested in seeing it after watching a, a compelling uh, YouTube video essay. Um, for me, it was the same way. Uh, uh, a chef that I subscribed to YouTube just out of the blue said, "Like, hey, I like this uh, this video from a guy uh, folding ideas who's had like a, a couple of big videos." And it was in response to a, a critique, um, if you can call it that, um, from uh, the nostalgia <laughs> critic, who's obviously one of the one of the uh, biggest YouTubers of 2008. Um, wow, one of the originals. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> just you know there's something to be said about consistency yeah. and not getting any better and not doing anything different. <laughs> Keep banging that drum, baby. Yeah, <laughs> more success than we've had, to be honest. So there you go. Yeah, you're right. It's not ours to hurt, not ours to judge. Yeah. But anyway, after all this criticism, I was finally compelled. Let's sit down and watch it. And so. Um, yeah, you're right. I didn't have a whole lot of familiarity with uh, Pink Floyd. I wanted to ask what your familiarity was with the story because it, th- what story there is, is is approached very obtusely. Like it cuts mm. cuts a lot between past and present, and and a lot of surrealistic sequences and animated sequences and all this stuff. And I was wondering how you felt like, like not if you didn't know a whole lot about it, like how you, how you like kind of came in cold. I I. I came in pretty cold because the thing that I kind of understood about this movie, or at least my perception of it was that yes, it was a visual album 
that there wasn't a lot of like cohesion between the scenes. I thought it was a lot of like animated sequences and maybe a few live action ones. I thought it was mostly just like a visual album. I didn't think that this was like an actual extended narrative that was happening. And also my perception was that this never played in theaters. I thought it only came, it came birthed straight from a ripped VHS (laughs) that you put in your mom's basement as you're smoking a bowl. (laughs) And you know, like talking about life, man. So I think that was, I think that was early Pink Floyd. That was, that was, the, the that w- those were the albums to smoke a bowl to. This movie is decidedly not crunchy. This is not no, a good time. No, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> no. I actually no. I think now I now I enjoy that thought more. Is someone like smoking up a dube ready to watch the wall? Oh shit! Oh, no. War sucks, man. <laughs> this this was a huge mistake. <laughs> yes, I'm having a bad trip. Yeah. I guess I, I came in like with some understanding of what what story there is. So basically, this is um, inspired. This is a, a somewhat of an autobiography of the one of the band's founding members, Roger Waters, um, with elements from some of the other bandmates' uh, life. Um, there's another one named Sid Barrett um, who left the band in the mid 1970s, had like a psychological breakdown due to um, addiction to drugs, and so like um, some some of the elements are inspired by by his uh, life and and some events um over the course of his his music career and and yeah it's it was originally going to be a concert film and then they scrapped that idea and yeah so it's it's kind of cobbled together from uh bits live action bits directed by uh alan parker um Mm -hmm. again very obscure like it's cutting back and forth and there's not a whole lot of dialogue and not a whole lot of like logic behind the scenes and then it's also cutting in all these like animated sequences by uh jared scarf so um I'm breaking it down into basically four sections. I hope you go along with me on, on this. I, uh, let's start with the kind of the opening, which is uh, our, our character. His name's Pink. Um, him, him is a child. Um, it's, it becomes immediately obvious that his father passed away during World War II, and he's got some like trouble adjusting. There's some heartrending scenes in which like his mother leaves him at the playground, and he wants to go home with like one of the fatherly figures there, and he has to like brush him away. Like, no, go see your parents when obviously he's he's practically like orphaned at this point like and that's that's and so that i think that that that's where the movie's the strongest um because it is portraying that all visually and there's also the viscerality of the war like they actually did a full like war production with pyrotechnics and like again like bodies buried in the tide and like yeah it's it's really like visceral and effective and corpses like yeah it's like really really stunning like um kind of you had you've got this soft song about tigers breaking free and then you've got the righteous riff um (laughs) from in the flesh coming in and yeah 
Mm. Yeah, so I was like, I was kind of hooked, like line and sinker, like right, like right into that that opening moment. So I was wondering <laughs> if you were under the influence of anything. And <laughs> um, I was, I was completely sober. Mm-hmm. Um, this this stuff was heavy, and again, like I was not expecting it to be this heavy of a movie. And it's in sharp relief in contrast to the animated sequences that'll come later, because those are also like equally dark. But because it's animated, you know, you kind of like suspend that disbelief. Um, and, like, I think the tricky thing about this movie is that it, you know, it does feel very personal. It feels very visceral. But also, it's like, it could have used maybe another level of, like, obtuseness. Because it's like, with that war that war kind of imagery, like, juxtaposed against his, like, his inner feelings of, like, turmoil. And, like, it, it can kind of... Like, I, I think Alan Parker, the director, kind of perfectly surmised this movie, which says this is the most expensive student film ever <laughs> produced. <laughs> and I think he's he's right. And that's that's a compliment and a, and a you know, complaint. Yeah, because it's 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 very um, heartfelt, but also like very obvious. But also you can make the argument. It's like, well, why is obvious a problem? Because I think a lot of our culture does kind of, you know, put forward this idea of show, don't tell, don't make it too evident. Well, it's like, why not? If you're doing something that is like, you know, you know, like wrenching your soul apart to get on on film, it's got to be like I was thinking about um, David was uh, some Polish name. Um, he did that. Uh, he did this kind of controversial film called uh, Fire in My Belly. That you know, it's like a 24-minute experimental film, like a lot of harsh cuts. You know, ants crawling across a crucifix. Like, whoa, man, look out! But it's like, you know, that's it's in the same vein and the same spirit of this movie. And again, it's like as an artist, you know, you want to make it visceral, you want to make it real. So I kind of appreciate it on that level. But also as an intellectual, I'm like, well, well, make me work a little bit harder to get there. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. Like, kind of student film is the is the moniker for. It. I didn't want to call it like juvenile, but there's like a an adolescent perspective in which like you're pouring out your feelings and there's no second thought to them. Like, mm. I I feel like as as we're adults and we look at things like critically, like we do adopt different perspectives and and I feel feel like um we become more analytical and um we kind of capitulate. And whereas this movie doesn't have that, it's kind of like maximalized in its like individual approach. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it, logically we should go to those, <laughs> go to those uh, animated sequences. But it dovetails into my next section of the movie, which is Pink now as an adult and all his pro- all his problems with ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you kind of skipped over the uh, the, the student portions. Oh yes, you know, true, the, yeah. I think the the most memetic, the one that everyone remembers. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and speaking of literalness, we're literally seeing like kids like ferried, looking identical in these like masks that that obscure mm, all their their like, individualities being destroyed. Yeah. They're being led into the meat grinder yeah. of society. Yeah. Um, and this fantasy is the- is the impetus of this fantasy was him as a student and, and his teacher like trying to teach maths or science. Like, what are you doing? Poetry. Yeah. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the kind of the other kind of barrier to fully appreciating this movie is that it's extremely British. It's a very <laughs> British sensibility. And mm-hmm. so like um part of the nostalgia critic's absolute failing yeah. was that he was reading it on a very surface level. It's like, well, we all think school sucks. And it's like, no, British schooling was very, very different yeah. <laughs> and much more, you know, harsher. Mm-hmm. And again, like I do appreciate that it the movie scope does kind of broaden like later you know there's a lot of like fascist imagery in you know mm-hmm. shown out and it's you know there is a great sense of irony to the fact that you know the british government was the one who beat the nazis but also has its own you know fascist 
classic, you know, yeah. leanings. And we see that kind of built into the schooling program as well. So mm-hmm. like, that's something that you, you really kind of have to have like a more, you know, British sensibility to appreciate, I feel like. An acre is the area of a rectangle whose length is one funnel and whose width is one in terms of like communicating that like all entirely visually like yeah it's still it's obviously like carried on this this uh pop culture like vision of like kids on a conveyor belt being fed into a meat grinder and you know mm-hmm. those the, the little uh, kids choir like you know singing all in all and yeah that that was a very arresting image like seeing them in compartments and it seems to go stretch like a, in a room that stretches like miles back like mm-hmm. and that's when this riot starts and they they burn down the school and and like drag the the headmaster away like that's all that's it's all great the, the only demerit is yeah how obvious it is that's the other thing i was going to say like where i wasn't as compelled was there's an animated sequence like solely an animated sequence like because sometimes mm-hmm. it's cut together but this is one like a, a huge chunk of it it's just animated it's set to a song um goodbye blue sky and it's like a depiction of the blitz and yeah. like and and yeah, like there's some strong imagery. Like there's this uh, eagle who like tears out the land, and you see like the the blood it's flow. Flesh, it's literally yeah, flesh. flesh. Yeah, but then you also see like oh, the planes of the of the bombers are all crosses, and what if the Union Jack falls apart, <laughs> and then the blood goes down the drain, and yeah, like that. It felt like yeah, like teenage like edge lordy stuff, and was like okay, like yeah, that's not it's it's getting its point across, but it's not exactly sophisticated. Like mm, I guess that's yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and again, like, unless you understand, like, the the history of, like, of Britain after World War II, how they kind of culturally had changed, like, again, this was made in the heart of Thatcher's Britain, <laughs> like, without that, you know, looking at it on the surface level, yes, it can seem like just, you know, pure adolescent rebellion for its own sake, so, mm-hmm. even though I do think that, you know, it's not until we really kind of get onto the full Nazi imagery, you know, mm-hmm. with the hammers, the crossed hammers, yeah. and, you know, after he shaved off his eyebrows, <laughs> he's, hey, are there any queers in the audience? <laughs> Yeah, but before we get to that, I th- I feel like the movie comes to a, a screeching halt when we do center on an adult pink in the hotel, and yeah. and this is where like again like hopefully like the the mind of an adult who can see like other perspectives can see things because he he sees that his his wife is cheating on him, um, and and you can see there's a lot of animosity. I think in real life like it, when they were a lot writing of this weird album, a lot of weird ideas of, about women in this movie, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, again, another very obvious animated sequence where like a, a phallic flower is going into a <laughs> is going into a very yonic um, uh, pet, uh, uh, plant as well, and then the and then the plant like eats <laughs> eats the flower yeah. and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, again yeah. like very obvious, like visceral with the music, like <laughs> like it'll it'll wake you up or whatever, but like yeah, it's not. Again, not exactly like um uh, uh tickling the the um 
<laughs> triggering those analytical like hmm, what does what could this mean um, <laughs> yes but again like where where does our culture come in on that whole valuing of subtlety you know yes. if you have a message across why like why but then again that's also the fun of art is you know like combining it as a surreal uh experiment for the senses mm-hmm. instead of just saying hey women are <laughs> women freak me out <laughs> britain is fascist you know it could have just been those words on the screen if you wanted to make it you know yeah as evident as possible but clearly he didn't do that so yeah well i i didn't like it because it is like trafficking trafficking in, in this like pernicious misogyny because we also see yes. like how uh, uh four women like these groupies come in and use and use their body and sexuality to get close to pink and and it mm-hmm. like triggers a, a freak out where he destroys the hotel room um there's another a really effective scene where it combines the animation and live action where like the camera pulls out and you see like the walls of the hotel room are like 20 feet high and then he gets chased around by that big uh yonic flower that i mentioned earlier like yeah yeah but yeah i mean (laughs) again an outside perspective like yeah of course your wife is cheating on you. you're on the road like six months out of the year (laughs) and you're and you're emotionally closed off and yeah (laughs) well i think the problem with that is because again like if we're talking about like evident like evident stuff like mm-hmm. this feels the most biopicy and like yeah. music biopics have been done to death and uh, to the movie's credit obviously they weren't done to death at this point in history but it's like nowadays it's like oh yeah we expect that scene where there's a fallout with the wife because you know oh he's just you know so closed off because he's working so hard um now, granted, I'm glad that I took a more, like, artistic approach. Like, obviously, we've all heard the legends of rock stars ruining hotel rooms. Yeah. And, you know, they recreate that here, but it's obviously much more visceral and, like, gut-wrenching the way he cuts his hand on the glass. And then my yeah. favorite little touch, he tries to reassemble everything later. You see the broken TV <laughs> and all the pieces lined up perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... And... Um, at one point, he shaves his eyebrows in this like um, drug-induced stupor, like after mm-hmm. he's destroyed, and and that was a, a moment called from real life, like something Sid Bear did in the middle of a party, like shaved every like hair off him, and yeah, it's it's very mm-hmm. haunting, like it's just a little drip, drip, drip of blood in the thing, and then he pulls the door back, and he's like all his hair slicked back, and <laughs> yeah, again, it's visceral, it's working on that level. Um, mm-hmm. And where I feel the movie really comes alive is when he does become an all-out fascist. And <laughs> <laughs> so he's whisked away by a, a band manager played by Bob Hoskins. And credit to Bob Hoskins, who doesn't have like a word of actual spoken dialogue. Mm-hmm. But you know immediately that he is oh, yes. he's the band manager. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, like during comfortably nu- the song Comfortably Numb, they revive him. And uh, like he molts in the back of a, of a limousine or something. Because they have to get money out of him. Yeah. They're draining money out of him. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yes, uh, he's joined by Jack Booted Thugs, and we finally get to see Pink, uh, this rock star, perform. And, it, and is it ever a performance? Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, you can kind of pick at the things you mentioned. Like, at one point, he does, like, point out, like, and, and says, like, racial and epita- epi- uh, homophobic epitaphs that I don't even want to repeat here. Um, but then at the at, at the end of that verse, he also says, like, oh, there's one uh, enjoying marijuana, and uh, that one's a young person. They've got acne. And I'm like, wait, that's not exactly the same as um, as our LGBTQ and black sisters and brothers. Um, to, to, they haven't quite faced the same profession, but, like, still at work. There's pyrotechnics, there's a full orchestra or whatever, and the, and the whole, like, hall is coordinated. Like, I love the little dance they did. Like, <laughs> Space Cadet Club. Tell me is something eluding your century? Is this not what you expected to say? 
production. That's yeah. really like well done. Like we like we like he compared it unfavorably to a student film, but not in terms of actual production values. Because yeah. this movie does quite a bit with. I think the limited you know money it had, but I don't know what the budget was. But uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, it looks like tens of millions of dollars, um, mm. and it uses it to great effect. Because yeah, like um, the the viscerality we saw from the the war scenes it comes up later when yeah all these jackbooted thugs are like ransacking a a, a a restaurant with black folks in it um there's an interracial couple and they drag the the man away and 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 sexually assault the woman and it's it's very ugly um and yeah like makes a a, a huge impact and yeah it felt like we were reaching something broader than just like um kind of the closed off emotions of a single guy um who hasn't like considered and and yeah, I, I'm, I'm amazed they didn't like make this point before. But we had all that World War II footage, and got just how like dispiriting that is. <laughs> like you know, all the human sacrifice we made, only to see like Thatcher's Britain be like basically the same <laughs> like right wing, uh, right wing enemy, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then like that's also when I think the um, the editing gets a little more choppier. Like again, like the yeah. animated sequences kind of come back and they're kind of like intercut with the jackboot thugs. You get the, you know, one of the most famous images from this is the marching hammers, yeah. you know, the hammers that are literally like stomping across mm-hmm. the ground, <laughs> you know, um, the hammer too. You could also argue that that's maybe a symbol that's a little too on the nose. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I think appropriate for this movie. Uh, mm, blunt, okay. obvious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> But yeah, I think the the animated sequences were came most alive for me, but that's because I'm kind of like a big fan of animation and you know, I was like interested in the kind of interplay between the live action stuff and the animated uh, sequences. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when it gets later in the movie and the it gets a little like there's more cross-cutting between those two. I thought it got like a little it kind of like built to an interesting climax. Mm-hmm. Even though I think the songs get kind of like more depressing at that point, there's no like big, like the um, you know the the big like fascist rally. That's kind of like the last big number for the rest of the movie, and then it's you know. Well, I was gonna say like this movie is like a roller coaster for me. There's moments where I'm mm-hmm. really invested, and then when it comes to a, a halt or a down a downswing or something, and and yeah, I love that sequence. And then he's he he screams stop, and then suddenly it looks like he's in the bathroom of a mental institution. And he's just like singing a song, and I'm like, oh, is this going to be the final moment in which he he breaks down this metaphorical wall, for instance, or this barrier that's that's disconnecting him from people? But yeah, instead we go through this, as you said, like dark song, and also like completely different from everything else. Everything else felt like a a rock song or a psychedelic song, like prog rocky, and this is like a a, a, a circus song on on a, a circus song on acid. Um, and then I saw the credits, like, oh, obviously it wasn't written by um, the the main guys in Pink Floyd. It was written by somebody else. But it's a a trial, and it's got some of the the more outrageous like uh, uh, animation, like it's it's people who are just like legs and are consuming someone's anus or something, like or. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But again, I am here for it. Yes, more of that, please. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It, 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 again, it felt like a, a, a weird divergence to end your movie on. Um, except for, like, an interesting final shot. So, yes, we do see, like, after a long moment of silence, we're just looking at the wall, and eventually it does explode. And then mm-hmm. we're on this, like, one final shot. It, and, and it kind of brings every. I love this, like, final shot because it kind of brings everything together. It looks like it could have been, like, the aftermath of, of the Blitz, for instance, or uh, mm-hmm. the riot that happened, like, after the jackbooted thugs, like, ransacked everything. Um, and then the. And it, and it ends on a strong image of a, of a kid emptying a Molotov cocktail. And I thought, like, that, like, 
for like as unsophisticated as some of the message could be like that that literally spoke like a thousand words to me it could be about like again like not just ending the violence but also the substance abuse and also like at one point he does mention the like um uh nuclear bomb and that and that threat to civilization and and if it and if, if this is a sign of nuclear disarmament or whatever so yeah it like spoke it like spoke a thousand words to me and it's like okay i'm back thumbs up like i'm yeah yeah i'm i'm as, and it's also a very quiet way to end something like this yeah um you know like again after all the bombast after all like the the, the heart-wrenching you know guttural like you know blood and guts like shown everywhere like to just have one kid you know emptying a molotov cocktail it's a pretty mm-hmm. potent image to end it on yeah or at least a good choice to end on yes um overall i feel good about it i hope um well roger waters still alive unfortunately alan parker and garrett scarf i don't believe are still with us um but they were all miserable making this movie and i can understand (laughs) well where was bod geldof was he in his his yacht where was he (laughs) i I don't know i i thought i knew bob geldof started this movie and because of that i thought bob geldof was in pink floyd for all those years and then he used the success of the band to start live eight no he was just like a a kind of mid-tier uh musician became mm-hmm. the star of this movie and then started Live 8 and now is like yeah just known worldwide as a, as a philanthropist so <laughs> mm, philanthropist I just, <laughs> big, big massive quotes I, I don't know if it's if it's like Bill Gates charity of like oh I give X amount of charity when I'm actually well, I th- immiserating I think, Africa I don't think he's actually you're right I, no I think that's the thing alright so there was one of the members of like Pink Floyd, or at least like one of these like old aging rock star musicians, like they wanted to do a message on Instagram being like, Hey, look, coronavirus, we're all affected and we're all in this together. Unfortunately, they made the mistake of doing this from their yacht. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think it was Bob Geldof, but I could be wrong. Okay. So, um, don't quote me on that. Right. But I, 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 it's someone, it's a Bob Geldof esque character. Right. Let's say that it could be Roger Waters, <laughs> who knows, but the, uh, or that, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right, yeah. But um, I don't know. We aren't PR geniuses for that one. <laughs> that sounds like it went over about as well as a uh, Gal Gadot's uh, Imagine video, <laughs> of course, yeah. or her comments on Israel. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, I think Roger Waters hates Israel. Um, he's, oh, he's, no. a, he's a strong uh, uh, Gaza uh, Gaza advocate. Um, oh, okay, which obviously you and I are equipped to, to, to discuss, and we will for the next two and, and a half hours. <laughs> so there we go. Yes, <laughs> we're gonna solve it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Now that we've teased them with that, though, Greg, I think we should, um, again, like art, 
we should surprise them. Yeah. So we've already, you know, shocked them initially mm-hmm. by giving them like a half-hearted recommendation of a movie <laughs> we did not finish. <laughs> then we went into a psychedelic experimental movie. And now how are we going to finish it off, Greg? What are we going to do to really freak out the squares, man? Well, I'm going to I'm going to scream stop. <laughs> like let's okay. give it let's give it a uh, let's have a chill out moment. Let's let's mm-hmm. ha- let's if this was a stage, let's go to blackout. Blackout. <laughs> um <laughs> Because this this conversation was obviously filled with bombast. That's what the people come to aspi- aspiring stomps for. A lot of shouting over each other. Um, mm-hmm. So so let's scream stop and instead uh, uh, bring in a more contemplative moment by uh, uh, bringing up a one bright shining spotlight. 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 Hey, Wherein you or I like recommend a movie that we saw recently, or we feel like it, it ties to the to the movie we just watched. Uh, again, we conclude every episode for it. Um, we've already given you some with uh, Marvin Star <laughs> and the Tomorrow Boar. Um, no, uh, bow, burn, Gene Charlotte, look out, Kitty has claws. Um, I wanted to recommend another kind of visual album that uh, thematically is not as co- uh, as consistent as this one. I think it has less on its mind, but again, it's much more heavily influenced by the animation side. Mm-hmm. And it's also an artist that I just kind of want to give more credence to and I want more people to get into. It's available on Netflix now. It's a 40-minute visual album. It's Sturgill Simpson Presents Sound and Fury. <laughs> okay. Stur- yes. Sturgill Simpson? Sturgill uh, Simpson. Okay. S-T-U-R-G-I-L-L. All right. That sounds, that sounds familiar. Is he a, like a, a folk musician? or? So, okay. He is um, a country uh, – we can charitably call him a country musician, but mm-hmm. his inspiration comes from more of a country western, like much more Willie Nelson than like Blake Shelton, let's yes. say. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's why I said you folk. Know, uh, I said folk yeah. very deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So it, that's kind of more of his brand of music. Um, a lot of his music focuses on how shitty the music industry is. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I believe it or not. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah, but, like, obviously he doesn't tread the same ground as a lot of his contemporaries. Uh, one of his songs is called Turtles All the Way Down. Mm. That's all about his experience with hallucinogens and LSD and things like that. So, um, But he's also got, like, fun songs like um, You Can Have the Crown, which uh, I think the chorus goes, um, I'm King Turd on top of shit and mountain if you want it. You can have the crown. Um, so he's just, he's a great songsmith. Yeah. Um, but Sound and Fury is, uh, kind of leans more into, like, the hard rock kind of, like, 80s hair metal. Mm-hmm. And so with this... Um, with this visual album, Sound and Fury, which you can watch on Netflix, uh, the inspiration also comes from a certain more easternly direction. It's very anime-inspired, huh. but very much of like the early '90s, like OVA scene, like very Akira. Um, you know, it's got Samurai in it. It's got like you know post-apocalyptic Mad Max-esque visuals, but it, it's it's more of that kind of like blend of animation, like you know, like a, the early days of Adult Swim staying up on a Saturday night till like two o'clock in the morning, watching like Outlaw Star or something like that okay. um there is kind of a story in the for the first couple segments but it's very bare bones um <laughs> a samurai clan gets killed someone gets revenged you fill in the blanks of whatever else the story could <laughs> be from that but um yeah and there's a few live action segments you know there's again like a lot of kind of like apocalyptic imagery in it like again the album is called like sound and fury so like but there's no 
kind of, or maybe I just need to rewatch it. Maybe I'll be able to like in tune. It's not as obvious mm-hmm. <laughs> what he's trying to say as you know uh, the wall is, but maybe he's not trying to. Maybe this is just a loose collection of songs, and this was kind of the outlet that he thought best expressed it. So um, again, it's only forty minutes. It's visually very striking. Um, there's some great music in the background, so I say check it out, folks. Okay, is it better than what's that other show, Sex, Death, and Robots, or? See, I haven't gotten a chance to check that out yet, okay. so I can't really say. But John, say. it's three things you love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's also produced by David Fincher, who I don't love. Oh, so, right. yeah. Okay, fair enough. But sound effect, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, no, if for nothing else, at least to expose yourself to that album and his music, and so you can start listening to it on Spotify and start giving him those pennies. He needs those pennies, folks. Okay, fair enough, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm coming for the uh, William Faulkner illusion, which in itself is a Macbeth illusion. Macbeth illusion, yes. <laughs> the Scottish play. Yeah, I had to. Yes, we had to make sure that you, the audience, knew that John and I knew that. Yeah, so we knew that, guys. Yeah. Okay, we're really smart. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and we're right. not insecure about we it. Took, that's yeah, the, that's the high, most impressive thing. Yeah, we took high school English. We know. We know what's up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've actually got two things to recommend. One was uh, just a, a happy coincidence. Well, sort of happy. Um, we, my wife and I, were listening to a podcast. We listened to some health and wellness podcasts, and and they made an allusion to a, a movie starring Matthew Broderick from the '90s that I had never heard of, and uh, she she remembers seeing it uh, back in the day and and really liked it. And lo and behold, it was on Amazon Prime, and so we like put it on, and it's a and. Wouldn't you know it? It's directed by Alan Parker, who also directed The Wall. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So what a coincidence! So I thought, like, okay, let's let's dive in. Uh, the movie's called The Road to Wellville. Uh, mm. It's a period comedy. It it centers on the I think kind of fictionalized travails of uh, Doctor Kellogg of the well, he his name. It's technically on the serial. He didn't have anything to do with it, but he was a, a renowned doctor back at the turn of the century and, and very kooky. Um, yes. It, yes. I had to make sure that um, he thought your health was entire uh, decided entirely by your stool. Um, hated sex. He thought he should never do it. Should never masturbate. Anything like that. Um, that That's part of his, his the, the impetus for him creating cornflakes, and he yeah. wanted a food so bland that it would make you not want to masturbate. Yeah. He thought the passion for food tied correctly into the, the passion of your loins. So interesting character, guys. <laughs> Fun yeah. guy. So it's it's got this kind of like again silly like um, uh, Rube Goldberg aesthetic. Like uh, Anthony Hopkins plays Doctor Kellogg, and 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 again he's a goofball. He's got this like charming Southern accent. Well, like he's he's always got his like feet in ice baths, and is always like doing calisthenics with like ropes and pulleys. And when he's not, he's in this like Colonel Sanders getup, basically. Um, I'd I'd say he's he's the best part of the movie. It it really follows three storylines. One's him and his um and his uh frayed relationship with a very um willful and and disobedient adult son who just comes back for his his allowance basically and then gets into trouble and and disrespects his father, um or his adoptive father I should say. Um, another story involves Matthew Broderick and uh, Bridget Fonda, their husband and wife, um who've hit a, a skid in their marriage and think like oh going to the sanatorium will help us and and it might a lot of comedy about like uh uh matthew broderick getting deloused and getting enemas and and, and uh colonics and stuff like that and and so that's the that's another source of comedy the the weirdest one though weirdest as in most pointless is um uh john cusack as this guy named ossining who wants to develop uh cornflakes and via via the sun like he thinks oh i can get the kellogg name on it um, oh yes 
but he never accomplishes that. Um, I don't think <laughs> Dr. Kellogg makes up with his son. And uh, the result of uh, Matthew Broderick and, and Bridget Fonda's uh, marriage in the movie is also left ambiguous. So at the end of it, uh, after some like very mild laughs and psych gags, like, I didn't understand what the point of it was. <laughs> like, mm. And I saw it was based on a novel, and I guess that was the impetus. Like, hey, we've got um, something to fill in Q4 of uh, 1993. <laughs> uh, Alan Parker, can you direct this? And he said, sure. And you got this yeah. this incredibly overqualified cast, and it's basically like a a less uh, a less memorable version of a HUD sucker proxy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's got that production value where it's like 1920s. You yeah. know, you can like maybe pass it off as like high art fair, you know, in mm-hmm. the independent theaters. So yeah, I'm sure. Greg, it seems like a very crowded movie. Where did they find the time to fit in the Bing Crosby and Bob Hope uh, aspect? <laughs> where <laughs> You know, they're making fun of Paramount and things like that. I, <laughs> Those kind of jokes. I don't I completely miss them. Again, no. Alan Parker was an English director, so I don't, I'm not sure if he was steeped in the studio system or... Uh... Or making jokes uh, with his with his friends at the Rat Pack or, or yeah at the, <laughs> the lounge. <laughs> no, that was like that was you know, the wait when when were those road moves? They made like seven of them. I don't they know. made like way too many. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's not exactly, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's not exactly uh, memorable. Um, uh, but yeah, that's the road to Wellville. Um, uh, <laughs> entertaining enough, but yeah. I... I, I, that's the thing. I won't say maybe entertaining enough. Like, uh, if you saw it when you were younger, like my wife did, maybe you'll you'll find it uh, uh, compelling again. Um, otherwise, like, yeah, I don't think you're gonna see a lot out of it uh, 25 years later. <laughs> see, I just I never never heard of it. I and you know like thinking about it when we were younger, it's like at least I would recognize the poster from the music for the not the music video, the video store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like absolutely nothing for me. Like, wow, that's just interesting yeah what you know what we see as young children it's got dana carvey too oh goodness gracious it does okay i don't remember him at all um he plays george kellogg oh that's his son okay he didn't look he didn't look as um thin maybe they did something with makeup he looked uh, i mean he was supposed to look unhealthy he was a he was like a, Mm. a ragamuffin so yeah well, Greg, that's, I don't know if you knew this. Dana Carvey is one of, is a, certainly a master of disguise. <laughs> How do you figure? I don't understand. Look at, look up bump on IMDb. Okay. All right. I'm seeing yeah. Wayne's World here. It... <laughs> a lot of appearances on, on Letterman. Hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> that's all we got. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, John, if we gave people that much, I mean, that would be enough. Nobody would nobody would say go to uh, their podcast service of choice like Spotify and write a negative review on that. Um, no, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, we would ask them, hey, can you write us a positive review? Give us five stars. And then that way it'll push the algorithm up and, and recommend us so that we'd be able to, you know, continue doing this podcast and build an audience and, and maybe get a sponsor. Well, John, that dovetails into our final Battle of Wits with Trivia Challenge. Oh, oh damn it. <laughs> right, you tricked me. You yes, tricked me. Yes, I, I thought did. I was out of it, and then you pulled me back in, yeah. you bastard. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can uh, uh, find some patronage here, because uh, I was inspired uh, by the idea of a concept album, because The Wall is, mm-hmm. is obviously adapted from an album. Um, not a lot of rich cinematic tradition there. So instead, I found a, a list of movies that integrated live action with animation. And so, oh, fun. yeah, so I'm going to read you the IMDb plot description of a movie that integrates uh, live action and animation. You're going to have to tell me what that movie is. All right. Got it. 
Yeah. All right. All right. I got 12 movies here. All right. Now, is this the bear of spoons? Like, you know, a person and another person go on an adventure. No, I, I had to take out some identifying details, but uh, I, okay. think, I think it'll do well. I think it'll do All well. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, question number one. An ordinary construction worker is recruited to join a quest to stop an evil tyrant from freezing the universe into eternal stasis. Oh. Um... Uh, John, this is supposed to be the easy one. <laughs> yeah, um, and I've got nothing. <laughs> All right, okay, massive hint. Oh wait, um, it, is it the uh, the the story master? Is it the one with uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin? The page master. I was considering page using master. that one. No, this is not it. Um, okay. Yeah. No, John, I'm going to give you a massive hint here. The live action okay. doesn't happen till the end. I've got nothing. Yeah, I, I'm totally blanking. I have no idea. Okay, what let you're me talking let about. me. Okay, then sorry. I'm I'm just gonna have to. Um, <laughs> just to, uh, I took out some identifying details. The original plotline was an ordinary Lego construction worker is recruited to oh, join a club. Oh, prophesized to be the special is recruited to. <laughs> got it's it. It's the Lego movie. And at the, the very end, yes, Emmett, yes. our hero, is transported into a world of, of um, an ugly kid and Will Ferrell. Um, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're 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 one to talk about. <laughs> hey, I'm not a kid anymore. It's fine. Um, yep. All right, number two, a documentary filmmaker explores the roots of America's predilection for gun violence. Oh, that would be uh, Bowling for Columbine. Correct. Uh, that one has an animated sequence in which uh, yes, some he interviews... lovely flash animated sequences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he interviews uh, uh, one of the creators of South Park and then does a South Park esque animation, um, which might have, uh, which might have been a little duplicitous. But um... <laughs> number three, an orphan dinosaur raised by lemurs joins an arduous trek to a sanctuary after a meteorite destroys his family home. Well, the problem is, Greg, you've given away the answer. It's dinosaur. <laughs> John, there are a lot of di- movies with dinosaurs out there. And so I, I don't think it was immediately obvious. It could have been Land Before Time. It could have been uh, uh, Walking with the Dinosaurs. But no, it is indeed uh, Disney's dinosaur. Could have been Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. Could have been Theodore Rex. Could have been. <laughs> exactly. All right. Number four. An unemployed cartoonist moves back in with his parents and younger brother. When his parents demand he leave, he begins to spread rumors that his father is sexually abusing the younger brother. Um, this sounds familiar, but I've again I'm drawing a complete blank. As soon as you say it, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, I've got nothing. Yeah. Um, hint: It's got a cult following today. Released in the year 2001, um, before 9/11 ruined everything. <laughs> Election. I really got nothing. <laughs> no, it's uh, Freddy got fingered. Oh, of course. Of <laughs> <Yeah>. course. <laughs> All right, number five. A young hero picks up a series of odd jobs to to buy the perfect present for his aunt's 100th birthday, only for the gift to be stolen. Oh, um... This is, um... Is it, um... Crap, I... Oh. Dang it, it's one of the Spongebob movies. I don't know. <laughs> well, you're close. Um, again, I can give you another one of the identifying things I took out. Um, yeah. Young hero picks up a series of odd jobs to buy his, a perfect present for his Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday. Oh, it's Paddington. <laughs> See, that's not fair. That's but, like that's like CG. I want a 2D animation. Um, excuse me. If, uh, first of all, wrong on both counts. It's Paddington 2. And remember oh. when they fly into the pop-up book and they're... Yes, that's That why. hardly counts. <laughs> what do you mean that hardly counts? <laughs> no, I don't think that's sequence. fair. Nah. 
right, you, you're dubious, salty. dubious at best. Dubious at best. <laughs> you're just salty because you. <laughs> you're really. Yes, I'm not doing very good at this round. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Number six. A struggling artist living in Los Angeles meets a girl who may hold the key to his happiness. Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> no, um, meets a girl in LA may have the key to happiness. Yeah. Um, who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's a musical coming out right around the same time as Pink Floyd's The Wall. Maybe not exactly the same tone as Pink Floyd's The Wall, but Xanadu. Hey, you got it. <laughs> That has animated sequences? I yes, have no idea. I, yes, it does. All right. Believe it or not, I have not seen Xanadu, but <laughs> next week, Xanadu. Xanadu. Yes. <laughs> All right, number seven. Are we on seven? Whatever. The numbers don't matter. All right. Two victims of tra- of traumatized childhoods become lovers and psych- psychopathic serial murderers, irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. Well, that would, of course, be natural born killers. Correct, Amundo again. Again, John. All right, you're crawling back. I like it. I like it. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, number eight. Uh, full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded <clears throat> to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> John, you said that. I you said that with a tone. I thought you had to think about the answer for a bit. But... What? Oh, what? Are we still doing movie trivia? I'm yeah. sorry. I got... <laughs> John, once again, nailing it, nailing it. All right, boom. I like, I like it. Yes, you got your confidence back. This is great. All right, you got me on the ropes um, in this uh, in this mental boxing match. Anyway, number nine. With the help of a magic ticket, a young movie fan is transported into a fictional world of his favorite action movie character. Well, that would, of course, be the last, <laughs> the last action hero. It is indeed the last action hero. Uh, he loves lacrosse. You can't get enough of it. Yes. Well, you know, he's like, he's casual about it. He's the lax action hero. <laughs> All right, number 10. Only three left. Um, an aging out-of-work actress accepts one last job, though the consequences of her decision affect her in ways she didn't consider. Uh, death becomes her. I don't know with this one. Um, one last job. Um, can you give me a year? Uh, twenty thirteen. Uh, nothing. I got nothing. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a feeling. Um, this is Ari Floman's uh, follow up to Waltz with Bashir. It's called the Congress. Oh, yeah. that's right. It's got a Robin Wright in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm visualizing it now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, number 11. A New York City cosmet- uh, cosmetologist, mistakenly thought to be a science teacher, is offered a job to teach the children of an Eastern European dictator. Ooh. Um, the king and I? Is uh, that too obvious? No. <laughs> um, no. Give me a year. Uh, 1996. Um, yes, I think it's 96. Um... Nope, I got nothing. Okay. Um, it starred a, a, a very famous sitcom actress um, who hasn't done a lot in the two decades since. <laughs> Not uh, that she's then, had to. Yeah. Um, let's see, sitcom actress isn't helpful. <laughs> there's a lot of, <laughs> not there's a lot of overqualified actresses who end up on sitcoms. Yeah, so. not, not for mid-90s uh, uh, romantic comedies. Um, John, it's Fran Drescher in The Beautician and the Beast. 
What? <laughs> you don't remember the beautician and the beast? No. Okay. Absolutely not. How dare you? <laughs> All right, fine. Fair enough. Um, but, uh... <laughs> Brand dresser, keeping it tight. Okay, yep. last one, though, John. All right, this mm-hmm. is for all the marbles. Everything else doesn't matter. All right, the points don't mm-hmm. matter. Okay. Number 12. A rogue artificial intelligence kidnaps the son of a famed basketball player who then has to work with cartoons to win a basketball game. Well, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call foul on this, literally, because <laughs> it's Space Jam, A New Legacy. Which is stupid as hell because when he gets transported. Uh, no, no, the John, world, no, John. You mean the movie that's coming out this Friday in theaters and on HBO Max? <laughs> <sighs> Look, the whole joy of watching Michael Jordan interact with cartoons no, no. is that he's a real person. Uh, nope, and nope. Your, your, your mic is cut. Nope, your mic is cut. Um, everybody go enjoy Space, space Jam. When he gets a sucked legacy. into Toon World, he turns into a Toon version of himself. No one wants to see the Toon version of fucking LeBron James. It's stupid. Stupid! I hate it. No, but he is live action eventually. I think. Yeah, but then he's d- dealing with CGI characters. Where's the voice of fun? You gotta have different, you know, dimensions. That's where it's fun. Ugh. Well, yeah, they've given you three dimensions now, John. Which no. is better, better than the previous two. I think it will creep. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, by all accounts, it's just as good as Tom and Jerry. I guess. <laughs> Now, I'm a little disappointed because I was waiting. Again, like, I was stuck on the 2D animation. Mm -hmm. So I was really hoping you would come up with a good question referencing one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of our era, 1992's Cool World. Are you familiar with Cool World? I I looked it up. Um, There was no way to describe the plot without mentioning the titular Cool World. So, (laughs) yes. I have seen Cool World from beginning to end. Okay. Um... It is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> John, how dare you? When a Tomorrow War, the Tomorrow War exists. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's do Roger Rabbit with no budget. This will work. <laughs> Neat. Um, yes, that one I had to omit, as uh, was the, the one I really wanted to do. Um, Disney's Song of the South. Um, oh. There's no way to. <laughs> but unfortunately, pull of the, pull of the neck collar. There's no way to mention the plot without mentioning uh, Uncle Remus and his friends from the. Well, Briar. Greg Greg would just you know he'd have to do his perfect Uncle Remus. Greg, do your perfect Uncle Remus impression Again, right now. If you like this show, give us a, <laughs> give us a like on uh, social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, write us a review on your podcast service of choice: Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast. We're all on there, and. Um, yeah, uh, write us an email, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. If you got questions for us, we'll, we'll uh, answer them next episode. If you got recommendations for us, we'll take them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But unfortunately, we do have a schedule to keep. We're very, you know, mm-hmm. on, bo- on, on the ball, okay? Yeah. And, and next week is a, or not next week, well, next two weeks, though, it's a biggie, folks. Because we're not doing a one movie. We're not doing two movies. We're doing three movies. We are doing Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy. Yes, with uh, Julie Dippy and Ethan Hawke, uh, yeah. movies that I know cinephiles just uh, uh, gaga over, but you and I have not seen a single one, so... <laughs> yeah. A lot of talking. I'm looking forward to a lot of talking. <laughs> John, it's about relationships, okay? It's about growing it's up. Just, growing you know, up and growing up. later. Let's, like, keep it loose, guys. Like, you know, just, like, do what feels right. Yep. We're in Austin, you know, we're just gonna, like, you know... Feel the vibe. Keep it weird. No, they're in Paris in Greece. They got paid to go on vacation, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to memorize lines. It's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, look forward to us talking about Richard Linklater's weird obsession with time <laughs> and seeing how, like, 
<laughs> long you can put off projects. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, again, do enjoy the Before Trilogy with us next week. And um, mm-hmm. until then, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring, man. Uh, keep Austin weird. <laughs> Whiskey River, take my mind. Don't let her memory torture me. Whiskey River, don't run dry.